Hey gang, welcome to Dateline Louisiana, a provocative look at the deepest of the deep southern states. Thoughts that are informative, candid, humorous, and sometimes controversial about life in one of the most interesting and rabble-rousing states in the nation. Here are your hosts, Anna Gray and Jim Brown. Hey, hello there. Welcome to uh, our living in one of the deepest of the deep southern states. We're glad you're joining us. I'm Jim Brown with my co-host, Ronna Gray. Ronna, got another lively program today, don't we? Always, Jim, always. <laughs> <laughs> well, we hope you'll listen to our podcast. You can go back on our podcast uh, link or also go to our website link, which is, Ronna? DatelineLouisiana.com. If you go there, you'll see all our podcasts listed up there where you can kind of listen to. Also, if you want to give a comment, uh, we'll take your emails from that location which we're glad to, glad to do and glad to take. Uh, normally, we talk about events in the, in the Bayou State. We call it the Bayou State in Louisiana. But we're, gonna, we're trying to sprinkle through all our podcasts some national issues that affect all of America. And uh, I know there's been so much in the news about Ukraine. Uh, you know, Rana, our home state of Louisiana, where we're broadcasting from, is some 6,000 miles away from Kiev, uh, Dobas, Crimea, uh, the Azores Sea. And, and quite frankly, uh, a majority of the people here, uh, maybe a, a few of you listeners will, but most of, most of us would have a hard time pinpointing on a map where any of these places are located. So it's a far, far away. And uh, we want to talk today about the importance of America's role in protecting Ukraine. Uh, for some 70 years, going back in the history, Ukraine was a state operating within Russia. Uh, the Russia-led USSR before it all split up. America stood by and watched uh, uh, the murderous regime of Joseph Stalin at the time. Uh, he forced the starvation of some 4 million Ukrainian peasants. So we didn't get involved then. Why now? What has made the Ukraine invasion become of such vital interest to the U.S.? And we want to kind of explore that a little bit today here, Rana. Uh, I've never been to Ukraine. I've never been to that part of the world. You ever been there? No. Well, it's a fascinating country uh, uh, that has great ties with Russia. If you look over, the, uh, the, the Russians have invested billions of dollars in Ukraine, uh, TV stations share the two countries. Uh, they have uh, 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 they have uh, family ties that cross borders. So language, yeah, the the language very much so. So traditionally, when you think of Ukraine, you think of Russia. That's changed dramatically today, and America's made a heck of a financial commitment. And and our our Congress uh, overwhelmingly. Dem- Democratic support, but even a strong Republican base has said, yes, we want to stand up for Ukraine. We want to stand there with them. We want to give them support, but we don't want to do so where we're going to start another war with Russia. We don't want to uh, give them nuclear weapons. We don't want to force a nuclear attack. We don't want to put American soldiers on the ground in Ukraine, Uh, but we want to give a lot of peripheral help, Rana. uh, one example of peripheral help, by the way, I've got a, a nephew that went to Ukraine a few weeks ago and is spending a month over there running a food bank for all of the refugees coming along. He took several friends of his from New Orleans, and they're running this food bank over there. A great commitment. I'm, I'm uh, 
jealous. I'd like to be along. I wish I wasn't quite so old. I'd be right there along with him. But Ukraine has posed some interesting and challenging problems, one of which is financial. We're putting trillions of dollars into Ukraine. Uh, and at a time when our economy has some big problems, you, uh, uh, the cost of gasoline has been affected, inflation, all that has a bearing because of what we're committing there. So the question is, uh, we're struggling with whether it's worth it or not. And are, are we getting ourselves caught in this morass or this spider web that we're not going to be able to get out? Well, we have a history, definitely, of getting ourselves involved in very long wars in an effort to stand up democracy. Uh, Afghanistan and Vietnam were both almost 20 years the United States was involved. And actually there, at least we're not, we don't have troops there uh, like we did in those, but 20 years of, of resources and uh, money and, and lives and all in those two, 20 years, I mean, it's just incredible. The, we don't have the human costs of American lives in this one, but the financial costs is unbelievable. And we're already over $53, 54000000000 billion that we've put into that war to stand up Ukraine this year. I'm all for it, too, but I wonder how we all sustain, and we're not the only ones doing this. Uh, other countries are doing as well, but how do you sustain an expense like that? That's right. Uh, and actually, uh, if the Ukrainians had been overwhelmed very quickly, uh, we'd be lots of complaining about it, quite frankly, but the cost would have dropped off dramatically. It, it might have been in the... In the uh, U.S. interest for the war to come to a quick end. Well, Putin, but it looks Putin like, said it would be a week. Putin said this would take about a week, and they'd overtake and the, it, Ukraine. And as you rightly pointed out, this could drag on for a long, long time. Well, the most recent uh, amount of money that, that does, like you said, get strong bipartisan support from the United States Congress, the most recent large amount, billions of dollars, was an indication that our government expects this to be going on a year from now at least, to still be going on, because it was expenditures that are going to be over time. It was, to me, the first signal that this isn't anywhere near ending. And then you've got to wonder, Jim, I mean, you've seen the, the footage of it. The destruction of Ukraine is unbelievable. They're already estimating something like, $600 billion in damages, all the buildings that are blown up and there's no housing. So how do you, regardless of the outcome, how do you rebuild this yeah, region? What's it going to cost? What does it cost? And, right. of course, uh, the president, who seems like a real decent guy, a stand-up comedian that's been a real inspiration, would not leave his country. He stayed right there. Uh, he seem, it seems like a day does not go by when there's a new plea. You got to give us more. You got to give us more. You got to give us more. And he's saying that all over Europe. And and so, uh, uh, and so, uh, you just as you say, where does it end? A couple of comments. Putin. Uh, why did he go in and do that to begin with? Uh, uh, was you know, uh, Ukraine was was getting significant ties to the. Uh, to the West, uh, uh, to Europe, uh, to the European Union. 
even talk of Ukraine joining NATO, NATO. <laughs> which of course would put the the, the border uh, of of all of of the European Union right up against the Soviet Union. So I can see where that would not be palatable to uh, to the Russians. I, I can understand that. Uh, and so I wonder if that's the thing that the, the match that started it all to where. Uh, uh, I, you don't know what happened internally in terms of discussions, but were there right. too many instances of, uh, of Russia being rebuked and they kept seeing these uh, hands being offered uh, by Europe and Ukraine jumping at, at making the ties even stronger? And they call it seeing this eroding. And uh, should did we fail in our negotiations not to see that and try to do some things diplomatically where we said, look, uh, we're going to give you good financial protections, but you know you are part of Russia. Unless we can bring the Russians to the table and find some middle ground, you know uh, uh, that's that's the discussion that should have happened a year ago or so. You know, and I don't know uh, that the, the, there'll be some books I'm sure written by American diplomats who were part of those discussions coming out here in the next year or two. Probably so. Yeah, yeah I think you're right. the The possibility of Ukraine joining. NATO seems to have sent Putin off the deep end because of the NATO commitment to an attack against one is an attack against all. So if they got into NATO, it definitely meant uh, anything he it shut the door on him doing anything going forward because the whole NATO alliance would would go after Russia if he did that then. And like I say, that's why I wonder, mm -hmm. did we make a mistake by not getting involved in negotiations earlier by saying, now, look, uh, we'll give you assurances that uh, uh, Ukraine won't come into NATO. But if we're going to do that, we'll lobby to back uh, the European Union away from having this kind of discussion. You got to give from your end, too. You've got to meet them halfway and and. And I don't sense those kinds of discussions are taking place. I guess place. the problem is he's a bad faith negotiator. You know, from the start of this, you know, our, the United States was telling everybody uh, from our intelligence what every step he was going to make, he was going to do, and he was denying it to everyone. So it's hard to negotiate with a bad faith negotiator, for starters, of what he was that he was planning to attack. He kept conti continually saying. No, he had no plans to attack Ukraine. Well, was those discussions happening, I guess, a year, two years ago is when I'd like to see the, the, the diplomacy happen before we got into the pickle we're in today. Right. And the other problem is two years ago or so, um, I mean, before Zelensky was elected president, Ukraine was in total disarray, too. It was hard to stand them up even at that point because they were had some— corruption in their government and people no doubt. resigning those allegations and, and all those things, back. chaos. And you're right. He's a stand-up comedian, literally. <laughs> I was thought you were going to say a stand-up guy, but he's a stand-up comedian. And I don't think anybody ever anticipated he would end up being such a international hero figure for people and what he's come to symbolize. He's done an unbelievable job of appearing on live broadcasts at every major event held in the world. I mean, if it's the Academy Awards or the BAFTA Awards in the UK or any, anything in any any country that's broadcasting things, he's talking to them live in programs that are getting 
tens and hundreds of millions of viewers seeing that. Uh, he's had all the world leaders come to Ukraine, which is pretty incredible. You know, just more recently, the German and Italian and French leaders go there. It's very symbolic, the people who go there, uh, the Attorney General of the United States going there to, to look into war crimes. I he, wish he's when orchestrated go, it well. I wish when they go there, well, they wouldn't wear their tie, suit and tie. <laughs> They're going into a war zone where there's danger, where there's rubble everywhere, and they're all pristine in their coat and tie. Put on some fatigues, you know, play the role. You know, uh, down here in the South, we got a hurricane come in. All the governors are dressed in their fatigues, and they're playing the role. Hey, we're out here fighting for the people. Exactly. So <laughs> I never liked that particularly. So No, you're right. Now, let me switch gears, though, with you and throw this out. Uh, Ukraine is not the only place where people are being... Uh, are, are suffering da- huge damages, famine, are being persecuted, where there's killings going on. I can go down a long list in, in Africa, in the Middle East, uh, countries like Yemen, Syria, Ethiopia, Darfur. The recent reports that in Miramar, for example, I've been to Miramar, where thousands of citizens have been killed, soldiers throwing babies on bonfires for sport. Oh, for my sport. God. In Rwanda, of course, some 700,000 killings took place over several years. Whole tribes hacked to death uh, with machetes. So if we were being cynical, and that's one thing about this show, we're not cynical, Rana, <laughs> but we were, or if we were being cynical, may I say, well, the the, the victims in Ukraine are considered to be white Europeans. Uh, so uh, uh, does race have a, a bearing on it? And how come we're picking and choosing uh, who we're going to bat for? We're all out for Ukraine from the president on down, tra- billions and billions of dollars going in, but we ignore other locations that have, quite frankly, the same problems with uh, uh, either uh, an attacking government or their own government who are not uh, who are not standing behind them. I think race absolutely has been a factor in this. And when the 15 to 20 million people were evacuating in the beginning of this war, as Russia was attacking Ukraine and they were fighting to get out, there was a lot of question about whether black Ukrainians and black people in Ukraine were being treated fairly in the evacuation, or were they being pushed off of trains in favor of of whites? And I've talked to a number of African Americans here who don't really care about whether or not we continue to support Ukraine over that, over them seeing that on television. And I think you're right, that that's that's certainly a question. I think the location of Ukraine over the African countries is obviously a factor. And over some of the Middle Eastern countries where horrible Syria, horrible things are happening, but their location makes it a little more difficult. But I think these European leaders, and now they're inviting Ukraine to join the EU, I think they sense we don't want another war on European soil. And that's a very frightening thought there. And um, they're looking to bolster them, but... I think you're right. I think there's we we can't the United States can't take care of the world. We can't take care of ourselves. Well, no doubt about it. There's and particularly with the economy 
uh, we're going through right now with gas prices going through the roof, with a lot of people suffering. And uh, one of the causes of all that suffering is the fact that we gave away billions and billions of dollars that we thought was going to help. And I think temporarily there was a help to people who uh, who were out of work and and but all that money has inflamed where we are today in terms of inflation being at at this huge rate that we find ourselves and, in. And the gas prices at the pump directly uh, an effect of uh, everyone cutting off Russian oil and and they were a big supplier. And you're right, everybody in the beginning of this attack on Ukraine were myself included flying the Ukrainian flags and and cheering them and standing with them and when people start paying high gas prices you wonder if they remember oh yeah remember we all knew this was going to happen and we said yeah yeah we'll pay more at the pump to be for Ukraine well will you you know when it gets down to it and your food prices are going up and on you inflation's so high do you still feel that way? And, you know, people tend to go with their self-interest. It's just human nature. Well, and as you pointed out, this this whole uh, conflict could go on for a year or more. And so are we just going to get just get tired of it? Are we going to get beat down? Are we going to say, hey, this, uh, you know, uh, if it's not really affecting our lives, Afghanistan to some degree, and Iraq didn't directly affect us quite so much uh, because the economy is going pretty well. But when the economy is tanking, when we're moving uh, towards a a possible recession that could drop the stock market even lower, where uh, you have all these results of the gas prices not really going down, well, then uh, uh, that's different. That does hit home to you. And so you you say, wait a minute, how, where are we spending? Do we want to go spending all this, these billions and billions of dollars that could be going into helping the economy, putting people to work? So those are those are tough issues that we're going to see more and more discussion of. And so uh, well, it's not so much putting people to work because we have low unemployment. I don't understand that, especially, but we seem to have low unemployment but you're right, solving all these problems that we have in the United States, uh, we do have a lot of poverty. We do have a lot of homelessness. We do have. I, I wonder if those employment figures are, are, are based on what they're based on. In other words, if someone says, I just don't want to work, you know, I made a little money when that handout took place and uh, I'm doing OK and I do some odd jobs. I, I kind of get get paid in cash. And I just wonder because everybody is saying we're desperate for, for work. We're, I know. We're, we're desperate for employees. <laughs> we can't, you know, we just can't supply you. Or, or you go and wait for long uh, terms in restaurants. Uh, uh, I've had several people in restaurants say they just can't get the help. Right. They've got to cut back dramatically. They cut back, the restaurants cut back their hours because they can't hire the staff. Um, I'm getting a little off of Ukraine, but I, I do, I have heard that part of the problem with our immigration laws being so outdated we're working on like a 1970s and 80s model that has never been updated that we ought to have uh, more modern laws. We've got a southern border. A lot of people from Mexico would like to come in the United States, work for a period and go home. And we've got some of these jobs that, that we'd like to hire them for, but we, don't, we have an outdated system that doesn't allow them 
that movement as easily as maybe we should be considering. But but you're right. Um, the economy being what it is certainly makes people, I think, look again at just how far we're willing to go in supporting Ukraine. On the support of certain countries, not another, columnist Nicholas Kristof, someone I read on a regular basis, writes, yes, there's a double standard, but it's better to be, to inconsistently do the right thing than to consistently turn cold shoulder to suffering, is what he's saying. So he says, I'm, he, he admits that we pick and choose, we're selective in who we pick, but, uh, uh, but that uh, we're still, that doesn't mean you don't try to help out who you have a relationship right. with. And who, as you said, uh, is a country that has a bearing on the security of Europe that affects our commitment to NATO. And so all those are diplomatic uh, uh, issues that are controversial uh, that I'm sure are are being discussed right now. Well, we have such problems ourselves that we're not in that mode where usually when the United States is fighting something, we are all together and we pull together and we wave the flag together. And we don't have that in the United States right now. So it remains to be seen. I will mention one quick story that uh, has a Louisiana tie to Ukraine because you're a big LSU basketball fan and have gone to the games for many, many years. It sat right down front. So I know you remember Roman Rubchenko who played for Coach Dale Brown at LSU back in the 80s, early 90s, uh, defected from Russia and came to LSU not speaking English at all. I, I was working at the athletic department at the time. I thought he was just quiet. I didn't realize he couldn't speak the language. But a very impressive student, which is amazing to me that he would get a degree here, get a graduate degree, go to graduate school, became a very successful international businessman and considered going back to Ukraine to run for president at this time when they were faltering and and um, in, in desperate need of leadership. Sure. But got there and decided, no, this is too messed up. I don't think I want to take this on, but I'm going to get involved and form some nonprofits and try to help people. And he, he does a fantastic job. Um Decided to go back. Uh, he and some friends took uh, their wives to a farm outside of Kiev and they just put the children and the wives there and went back to Kiev and are just like doing everything they can to try to support the government and stand it up and get people to commit to help. And he's got an organization called Ukraine, spelled Y O U K R A I N E dot org that a lot of us have sent small contributions to. And their purpose is just that whatever 100% of the money they raise, because they're just volunteers that have gone in to help, goes to the families of Ukrainian soldiers so that the soldiers who are out there fighting this, especially the fallen soldiers, their families can get some relief and support. So. That's marvelous. Just like That's... your nephew, you know, going and running a food bank. Right. It's just been incredible. And that is the real American spirit. Although Romans from Russia and in the Ukraine area, um, that is the American spirit that we do help when we can. And I hope we can continue to help them. And I hope that somehow maybe Putin can claim some victory and 
and get out of there and stop the destruction. Well, we sure hope so. We'd like to bring this this thing to an end. Hey, glad you guys listened to us, you guys and gals, excuse me, want to be politically correct. <laughs> 50 uh, years of Title IX, Jim. <laughs> that's right, that's right. Uh, but anyway, glad you joined us here on our podcast. We hope you'll be a regular a listener. Uh, we'll have shows put up on uh, on the length that puts up our podcast, as well as our own website, which is Rana. DatelineLouisiana.com. DatelineLouisiana.com. You'll find a lot of information about our whole program. Glad you're listening with us. Have a good week or two, and we'll see you here when we do another podcast in the future. Jim Brown and Rhonda Gray both signing off. Thanks for listening to Dateline Louisiana with Jim Brown and Rhonda Gray. To subscribe to this podcast or contact Jim or Rhonda, visit DatelineLouisiana.com. We hope you'll join us again next week for more news and reflections from the Bayou State.